Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today we're here to discuss some of the science behind early childhood development and how education is enabling or discouraging this growth. Our guest is Dr. Jack Shonkoff, that's MD, not PhD, who is a professor at the Harvard Ed School, the Public Health School, the Medical School, and the founding director of the Center of the Developing Child at Harvard University. How he found time for this interview, I do not know. Welcome to the EdCast, Dr. Shonkoff. It's great to be here, Matt, and no problem finding time for something this important. Now, Jack, you recently wrote an article for Science Magazine, actually just came out today, called Protecting Brains, Not Simply Stimulating Minds. Give us a little framing. Whose brains are we protecting, and what are we protecting them from? Right. Well, um, the brains, we're pr first of all, we want to protect the brains of all young children. Our, our focus here is young children and um, the foundations of successful learning. So uh, obviously we want to protect the brains of all young children, but uh, particularly from a policy and a practice perspective, we're concerned um, about the brains of children who experience significant adversity in their lives. Um, and um, we're, we're really drawing on a revolution in the biological sciences right now that are telling us how much significant stress and adversity um, can literally create physiological harm to children as they're growing up. And so it's their brains that we want to protect. And the reason for the title, Protecting Brains Not Simply Stimulating um, Minds, is that um, we're suggesting that biology um, is leading us to think that in order to, to educate children effectively when they're very young, we need to not only make sure that we provide enriched learning experiences, but that we promote healthy brain development so that healthy brains can take advantage of those enriched experiences. Talk a little bit more about the, the development, those interventions. It's a science article, but at yep. the heart of it is education and the yep. pedagogy behind that. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great question because the reason um, we're so happy to have this paper in science is that we're trying to bring uh, the biological sciences into the world of education. Um, not in a way, um, we're not talking about um, you know, pills for learning. <laughs> we're not talking about organizing classrooms based on brain structure. We're talking about uh, principles of biological development. And um, so what we know is that um, early experiences get into our bodies, um, for better or for worse. So positive experiences with rich learning opportunities and stable, nurturing relationships, um, not only promote, the reason they promote learning is because those experiences actually promote the development of the circuitry of the brain. How they really shape the brain circuits. How early are we talking here? Oh, uh, well, actually, uh, you want, literally the answer to that question is the health of a woman before she becomes pregnant. Um, very early. That's very early. But um, then if you want to kind of be a little bit looser about that, we're talking about um, the prenatal environment before a child is born. So certainly um, early from the kind of education world's perspective is, you know, right after birth. Um, and I think the very important message for the education community is early is not um, preschool for four-year-olds, especially when it comes to brain development. Now, um, Preschool for four-year-olds is obviously better than not starting till kids are five or six, especially for children who are disadvantaged. But when it comes to brain development, age three or four is, is not even remotely early. So 
Um, why don't we say for this conversation to make it easier, we're talking about uh, from infancy. I'm curious, you talked a little bit about the role of the mother and the role of now say like a preschool. Yep. What is the difference? What is the, we'll start with the mother first. What should she be doing from an intervention standpoint to you know, combat some of these stresses and what are some interventions? Right. So uh, you know, I think I'd rather not talk about this from an intervention perspective, although it can easily translate to interventions. But um, let's really talk a bit from the perspective of what what kind? What is the environment of relationships in which young children develop that uh, promotes positive outcomes? So obviously, we're talking about the relationships that children have with the important adults in their lives. That starts with the family, of course, parents, siblings, you know, extended family. It includes neighbors. It includes, um, and it includes. Um, professionals and other staff who are in working in programs in which young children spend a lot of their time. So what, what it is that we, um, what, what's important for parents to do, in this case, is not any different from what's important for teachers to do, preschool teachers, or childcare providers, or people who work in early intervention programs. Um, that's a very important part of the message from the science. There is one science of early childhood development. And the same science applies to parenting, to childcare, and to education. And it is providing kind of stable, nurturing, predictable relationships with adults who, um, who provide an environment in which healthy development happens and good learning takes place. Talk a little bit about where the, you talk about environments. How can the environment of, say, some preschools, how can they improve? Right. So, um, and again, it's the same principles here. So what, 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 what makes for an environment in which effective learning takes place? Well, for starters, there's a sense of predictability and regularity and an organization in the environment. It's not chaotic, okay? It's not unpredictable from moment to moment. There's some sense, uh, not rigid order, but some sense of, of predictability and expectation. And, and that, that's, that's kind of a fundamental starting point. Then within that structure, um, there need to be opportunities for exploration and learning, um, the kind of reciprocal back and forth, what we call serve and return interaction between children and adults, all of which you know, educators kind of know that's, that's the bread and butter of a good learning environment. But the link to brain development here is that although um, it is absolutely true that um, you know, the development of, of language competency as a foundation for literacy um, is critical, there are other parts of the brain and other aspects of brain development that have to do with um, higher order what are called executive functions. This is in the prefrontal cortex of the brain. This is an area we want to start paying more attention to. And, and many educators um, implicitly pay attention to that, and some explicitly are focusing on it. So this has to do with things like um, paying attention, planning, following rules, um, being able to kind of um, follow directions, keep more than one thing in your mind at the same time. Um, it goes to everything from kind of understanding, you know, the rules that allow you to be successful in Simon Says to um, to being able to follow directions and, um, and, and in more, you know, kind of formal learning situations. All of this has to do with the brain. All of this has to do with how the brain organizes experience and incorporates that into its developing architecture. The circuit, literally the circuits of the brain are being wired in the early childhood years and they create the foundation for all the learning that takes place in K to 12 and and you know and, and post high school education and everything that people learn for the rest of their lives. So we're trying to introduce an understanding 
of how healthy brain circuitry is built as a foundation. And the focus of this article is how disruptions to that foundation can be prevented. Do you find you have difficulty having the science community and the education community kind of speak the same language? Well, <laughs> you know... And maybe you're the, the translator. Well, I try to be. It's, you know, it's, um, it's difficult crossing all kinds of disciplines and sectors. It's not just the science community and the education community. It's the healthcare community and the education community. It's kind of, it's, it's academia and people in practice and people in policy-making positions who decide how resources get allocated. Um, so, I mean, I think the irony here is that everybody understands how bad the fragmentation is. I mean, that, there's nothing new about pointing out the fragmentation among these sectors. Um, and for years and years, people have been working on trying to promote better communication and collaboration. An important message from this paper and the work that we're doing is that true coordination will not come from people trying to find ways to talk to each other. It will, it will come better from people all feeding off the same knowledge base, okay? And the beauty of what's happening in the biological and the behavioral and the developmental and social sciences is that they're converging on some core principles. And so um, part of uh, what our center is very much about is to kind of uh, build and identify, build the science base, the single science base, identify those core principles, and use them as a way to bring people together to talk to each other around the same science, not just around sharing data systems and, you know, and, and having a better way of sending reports from one agency to another. So, so if your center and your article is a, sort of a convener of a, in some way, mm -hmm. what can our listeners do as a sort of call to action? It's parents, it's teachers, it's ed reformers. What, what can they do on a daily basis if they're not policymakers right. to enable this growth? Right. You know, that, that's, a, that's a great question. And it's a very simple question and a very complicated question. So let me just share some reflections on that. Um, I think the challenges, and I'll speak just to the early childhood education field right now, there are a couple of critical challenges. One is that there is tremendous variability in the quality of the kinds of programs that we provide. There are outstanding programs with highly qualified staff and all the resources you need to provide a wonderful uh, learning environment for children. And there are programs that struggle with poorly trained staff and inadequate resources and particularly staff whose skills are overwhelmed by the problems that, that many children bring to early education settings. So improving the quality of the implementation, um, a lot of this involves professional development and staff training, that's a big challenge. A second big challenge is to take programs that are really good and, and bring them to scale. You know, we, we do demonstration projects, we show what's possible, and then we can't replicate them because we try to do it on the cheap. We, you know, we try to use people with less training and serve more kids, and that doesn't work. But my message, the new message I'd like to put out here, is that with all of the attention and the important work being done on quality improvement and professional development and curriculum enhancements and all of these things that are very important, I, mean, I think it's critical that the field reserve some, some relatively small but important part of attention and resources to ask the question of, what next? What, where is the field going to be 10 or 20 years from now? That's different from just quality improvement and staff development. And this is where our message is that this revolution in biology right now, in neuroscience and molecular biology and genomics, 
is giving us insights. Not Molecular biology is not going to be translated into an education curriculum. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about brain-based um, you know, kind of curricula for reading. I'm talking about the principles of biology leading us to think in new ways about how we significantly increase the impact of what we do. And the purpose of the article in Science Today is to say that one of the principles that's coming out of the science is it's not just about enrichment and stimulation. It's about protection from harm. And protection from harm that translates into disruptive circuits in the brain that interfere with learning. So that's, that's the message that I would want to put out is, um, and, and for a practitioner on the ground, um, the answer is not so, you know, invent the future. But it's to have every program, every site, every professional think, how is our program making room for bringing in new ideas and trying new things? And that, that, that would be my, my most important message from mm, this paper. That's well put. Early reactions to the article? I know it's, it well, came out know, just this week. Came, well, no, it came out today. <laughs> today, today. today. It came well, out today. This may be airing so woke, in a few days. <laughs> I woke up this morning and I had several emails from people um, from Latin America and Europe asking me for uh, reprints uh -huh. of the paper, um, which tells you something about the instant world of communication we live in. Um, it's too early to, to get reactions because the paper literally has only been out a couple of hours. But you know, my hope from this paper is that the reactions will be not for people to say, oh, thank you for this, um, this recipe for what we should do, but rather to say, um, hmm, you know, that's interesting. I think we ought to start um, sitting back and reflecting on um, what we could be doing differently as opposed to just better um, to promote the learning, particularly of children who are most disadvantaged. So this is, this is our way of rethinking the approach to reducing disparities in achievement. This is a new way of thinking about trying to reduce the achievement gap, not just with better instruction, but with um, more creative interventions to prevent harm to developing brains. Jack, last question. We're just going to take a step back from the article and just look at Jack. You do a lot of great work in this field, you know, and, the, and a good question would be, you know, at the heart of it, why do you do this, Jack? <laughs> That's an easy question to answer. I, I thought it would be. Yeah. I, well, I mean, the answer is pretty simple and it's pretty basic. Um, you know, um, I'm one of those people who lives a privileged life, right? I have. And I and my family, we have good health. We don't worry about putting food on the table. And we take for granted that we will be able to um, achieve um, kind of educational milestones and, and be able to have productive lives. Um, I find it intolerable that given the knowledge that we have that, um, that a significant part of the population in this country, the wealthiest country in the world and all over the world, um, that there are children who from birth um, already have the odds stacked against them. And uh, most important, what the science tells us is, um, children who have the odds stacked, stacked against them were not born that way. And it is not inevitable that, um, that children born in poverty or who are victims of maltreatment or discrimination, it's not inevitable that children in those circumstances will not do well in school and will, um, and that's, I can't, I can't live comfortably with that thought without doing everything I can to try to make a difference. It's as simple as that. Dr. Jack Shankoff, the article is Protecting Brains, Not Simply Stimulating Them. It's in Science Magazine. Pick it up. Our guest, the prolific doctor, educator, podcast guest extraordinaire, 
Dr. Jack Shankoff, thanks so much for appearing on the EdCast. Thank you, Matt. Thank you very much. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening. The Harvard Graduate School of Education, working at the nexus of practice, policy, and research.